is on, yes. Everybody's doing that homework that they didn't do over the weekend. And then some of y'all haven't done it at all. You're waiting till tonight, yeah? Your parents just don't know yet. Okay. Who remembers what we talked about last week? Studying the Bible, right, how to study it. So I got an example just as a refresher from last week. So if you turn in your Bible to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Ecclesiastes is after Psalms and Proverbs. Okay. Oh, thank you, there's light. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. I saw somebody put this on their Facebook status this week, so I'm picking on them, okay? If you look at uh, chapter 10, verse 2, it was my cousin, by the way, if y'all want to know who it was, it was my cousin who put this on his Facebook, so I'm picking on him. Verse 2, let me read it, and then I'll tell you what his status said. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left, okay? And my cousin took this verse, and he said, man, I, you know, I well, I'm not going to tell you exactly what he said. Let's just say that he took this verse out of context and applied it to the political nature of our country today. Okay? (laughs) No. That would be a gross, gross misinterpretation of Scripture and taking it out of context. Okay? The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. What is the author talking about here? Is he talking about the Democratic Party versus the Republican Party? No. Okay. The Democratic Party and the Republican Party of the United States did not exist back then. In fact, Romans, Paul states that we need to, uh, we need to uh, submit to the authorities that are over us because don't you know that every leader that is in a position of authority was positioned there by God? Okay, so so to even take the Bible, to take this verse and try to use it in a political uh, context, he was joking, by the way, but to try to use this in a political context is not only uh, taking this verse out out of context and using it in a gross misinterpretation of Scripture, but it's actually almost going against Scripture in its entirety, and it's almost heresy. Okay? In other words... We should honor the authorities that are over us because God has placed them there. Um, and, and so we know that this verse isn't necessarily talking about politicalness. Not only that, but in Isaiah, we see, we see God prophesying through Isaiah to the, the people of Israel. And, and, and it says this. It says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, my still quiet voice will guide thee. In other words, it doesn't matter really whether you turn to the right or the left, what you should be concerned with is listening to my voice. Does that make sense? That's more of what the author here is talking about. In other words, what he's saying is that the wise and the foolish man go in complete opposite directions. It doesn't matter whether the wise goes to the right or the left. The fool goes in the complete opposite direction. That's what he's saying. Okay. In other words, the two don't camp together. My boys had to memorize a verse this week for children's church so they could get their sticker or stick or whatever it is they do over there. Um, Dana, do you remember what it is? A ticket. Okay, do you remember what the verse is? 
company corrupts character. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. That's what Solomon, who writes this book, is getting at. He's saying, listen, the fools, the foolish people of this world, and the wise, those those who follow the statutes of the Lord have nothing in common in their daily activities. In other words, the wise don't hang out with the foolish people, and the foolish don't hang out with the wise. And there's, there's a lot of good wisdom in that. In that, uh, you know, if you're, if now, especially for you students, now that school has started again, uh, if you want to know how to keep that flame alive or whatever terminology you want to use, all those decisions, commitments you made at camp, if you want to really grow in your relationship with the Lord this year, maybe you shouldn't hang out with bad company. God has called you to be a missionary to your school. That doesn't mean that you stand up on your desk and witness to them all the time. In fact, it doesn't even mean you have to open your mouth at all. What it does mean is that you reflect, reflect Christ in every action, in every behavior, in every attitude. So, I'm sorry, but those of you who want to ascribe to the faith that you need to hang out with the lost and do what the lost are doing in order to reach them, that's a gross misinterpretation of Scripture. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict them. It is your job to give the Holy Spirit a standard by which He can bring conviction and repentance. Does that make sense? Yes, no? Yeah? So, if you're going out with your school friends, if you're standing there while they're gossiping about someone else, if you're standing there in the, in the locker room, guys, while they're telling their dirty jokes, and you're, you're not saying anything, but you're also not, like, speaking out against it, you know, you're just kind of chuckling a little bit, just kind of fading in the background. In other words, you are a wise person hanging out with the fools in their folly. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And that's what Solomon's saying. It has nothing to do with political. So that's what we talked about last week, how to study the Word, how to take the Scripture and not bring our personal experience or our desires to bear to the Word and, and our interpretation of Scripture, trying to justify our actions or our experience. Rather, we come and see what the Word itself says. So regardless of whether you... You are a Republican or a Democrat in this country, regardless of whether you like our president or not. You don't go to Scripture trying to justify who he is and what he does. You don't go to Scripture trying to uh, unjustify who he is or what he does. You go to Scripture to find out what God says, how we should live, and, and it's the president's responsibility whether he's living by how God thinks we should live or not. Does that make sense? Yes, no? I don't sound too convinced. You don't sound convinced at all. Let me bring it closer to home. It's not your job to help your parents understand whether they're right or wrong. It is your job to honor them and to obey them. So unless your parent is physically or verbally abusing you, it's not your job to set them straight. It's God's job. Your job is to merely submit. Is that a little easier to understand? Because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. 
okay? God will set your parents straight. It might not be now, but it will be one day. Or really, in all likelihood, what will happen more often than not is that you'll grow older and you'll realize that your parents were wise. That your parents were not going to be fooled by the folly of you and your youth. Okay? So, your parents knew that staying out past midnight was not going to get you anywhere into any good good company. That make sense? Does it? Or do you just not like what I'm saying? Okay. Very interesting. You tired? Okay. Interesting. I, uh, let me go on with what I was going to talk about, then I'm going to change directions from what I was going to talk about. First Corinthians. Starting in chapter 13, if I speak in a human or angelic tongue but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with all truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. And where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For no... for. We know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away this, put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. As we're talking about understanding Scripture, and as we talk about weeks prior to that, as we talk about the spiritual gifts, the two go conjointly. They go together. The Word talks about God giving us His Logos Word as the original language, which really means His written Word. And then the Word, all throughout the Word, too, we see God talking about giving us, in the original text, His rhema Word, which is His spoken Word. The two go hand in hand. Whether it's God manifesting Himself through miraculous signs and wonders, whether it's speaking prophetically or through an interpretation of tongues or, or, or through the teaching and the, and the impartation of the spiritual gifts, whether God is speaking through His rhema word, His spoken word and His actions, whether God is speaking through His written word, it is all done in love for us so that we could then impart that knowledge in love to those around us. 
Does that make sense? The difference between Christianity and every other major religion is that we don't go on mission trips. We don't go out seeking to save the lost, to put notch, or we shouldn't, to put notches on our belt, to grow in the size of our churches. That's one of the things that is one of my biggest pet peeves as a minister is churches that care about their size. That, that b- drives me batty. Because what we are doing, we are do- should be doing out of love. I shouldn't go to school and witness to my friends. I shouldn't go to school and live the life of a wise person, however lonely that might be in school, in order to get them saved because that's what I'm supposed to do. I should do that because if I am truly saved myself, the Holy Spirit's alive inside of me. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, the evidence of the Holy Spirit being alive inside of me is the fruit of the Spirit. That is the evidence, what bears evidence to what is alive inside of us, to what type of tree or plant we are. We bear fruit of the Holy Spirit. And one of the greatest gifts or fruits of the Spirit is love. The greatest of all of them is love. And if God is truly alive and active inside of me, then then I don't go witness to my neighbor, my classmate, my colleague, my parent, out of a sense of duty, rather I should be witnessing and living a life of Christ for them because God's changing my heart and my love of them causes me to want what is best for them. My heart yearns for them. I've cried more in the past seven years than I've cried in my entire life. And it's over things that I would have never imagined that I would cry for before. When Kim and I got married, growing up in a missionary's home, uh, one of the typical things, I'll just let you in on a little bit of an MK, a missionary kid's life. Missionary kids grow up, and, and generally they are either homeschooled or go to boarding school. Either way, the general missionary stays in one place for no more than four years. That's a long stint for someone. And then they go moving off somewhere else. The missionary's life, generally speaking, God takes them and just keeps moving them all over the place. And I grew up as such. And one of the side effects or the repercussions to living, raising your kids that way is that your kids become very jaded in a lot of senses, in a lot of ways. We don't have roots like you do. Uh, as, as I married Marcella and Seth uh, a few weeks ago, earlier on, months before that, when we were talking and they, they were, had just gotten engaged and they came down here to visit, um, Marcella called me. Uh, when they started courting or whatever. And she called me and she said, Jeff, I hate you. And I'm like, okay, why? And she said, because you said that I'd be the first one in my family to get, to, to get engaged or married after Drew. And, and I met this guy, and he's a youth pastor. And I'm, you know, I just laughed on the other end of the phone. And then she came. And one of the things that they did when they announced their engagement to their family and friends, you know, is they came here. And one of the things that Seth started talking to me about is he said, Jeff, tell me about third culture kids. You were one. I need to understand what a third, we call them third culture kids, kids that were raised traveling or in other countries. Tell me about what I'm going to be dealing with when I marry this woman. Seth is an awesome guy. One of these years, he's going to come speak at camp or midwinter retreat. We'll have him in. We'll give him a little bit, though, so he and Marcella can cleave first. But, and we started talking about that. And I said, I told him, I said, listen, one of our problems as third culture kids is that it's hard for us to put down roots. About every two years I get an inch here at this church. Every two years. Richard and I were just talking about it this week. I said, Richard, I, I, 
I, man, I'm, we've been here almost seven years now. Richard came to me, he's like, yeah, you have, and he's like, hey, we need, or it started out as he come to me saying, hey, we need to talk about where we go from here in Cambodia. You know, what do we do now? So we're going to meet this week, you know, and he's like, we got to, we got to, we need new vision for the church. What, what is God wanting us to do now? What direction are we taking? I said, all right, you know, we'll meet, we'll go on it. It's, it's great. And in that talk, you know, I was like, you know, Richard, it's, it's kind of interesting because, because for the first time in my life, I'm at a church where everything's going great. And I said, even in spite of all that, I've got this itch. I've got this itch. There's something inside me that just tells me it's time to go. And he's like laughing, you know, and he's like, yeah, I understand. And I said, it's just, I know what it is. It's because I'm a third culture kid. My whole life, I, I've never lived anywhere longer than four years, with exception of, of when I was going to college and now here. So about every two years, I just get an itch. Not because anything's wrong here, but I just, there's something inside of me that just says, hey, it's time to go. Start looking. We need to move on. You know, you're not supposed to stay in one place this long. It's weird to me. Some of you were born and raised in Carrollton. Some of your grandparents still attend this church. That blows my mind. I, I mean, I just, I get antsy. Just a, drives Kim crazy because I'll just come home one day and be like, hey, let's go camping. Well, let's wait till let's go. No, let's go right now. Let's just go. Let's just get the kids. Let's pull, pull the kids out of school and let's just go camping. You know, I just got to have a change of pace, change of scenery. And that's just one of the repercussions of being a third world culture, third culture kid. And one of the problems with that, too, is that all these missionary kids, they come back to the States to go to college. They get back here and they don't fit in. Because if you've ever lived, yeah, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> Thanks, David. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. You got to put up with me. Anyways, you made me lose my train of thought. We come back to go to college, we don't fit in, especially if you were raised overseas. The United States is just, when you're raised overseas and you come back to the United States, you're just slapped in the face with materialism and, and stuff that you and I are just so used to that we don't recognize when you've lived outside the States and come home. You're just slapped in the face with it. And it's just a huge wake-up call. And to a lot of people, it's just, um, it's just disgusting. You know, when, you, when you've grown up in a church where, where there is no carpet on the floors, there is no air conditioning, there are no pianos uh, because they can't afford it, when you, and you walk into a business meeting at a church in the States and they're, they're arguing over what color the paint in the walls is going to be or they're, they're fighting over the style of music, you know, as a third culture kid, that's just repulsive to you because you grew up in a country where you would sit in a service for two or three hours on dirt floors and you worshiped God. And so to come back to the States, which is supposed to be this Christian nation, and you're arguing over these things that are ungodly, God doesn't care one iota what color the walls are. And he doesn't care what style of music's being played. He cares that our attention and our affection are on him, you know. And so that just gives you a little insight into a third culture kid. And so what most missionary kids ends up happening, they come back to college and they flounder. 
They've been homeschooled or they've been raised in a boarding school. They're, they're in a bubble. They're angry and resentful towards God because their parents drug them all over the place. They never really had a home. They finally get to come home to what they think is supposed to be their home. They get here, and it's a huge disappointment. So one, they either get angry towards God. Two, they flounder. They can't make it in college. They, they're social misfits. They don't fit in here. They're constantly judging the people they're trying to fit in with, and, and it just turns out in, to be a bad thing. And so what ends up happening to most missionary kids is this is what happens. Oh, I'm called to be a missionary. That's what they think. But in reality, what they're dealing with is they just want to get back out of the States. They're feeling antsy. They need to get up and move. They need to go learn a new language. They need to be with a new people group because that's, that is their culture. That's what they know. And so I came back being one of those people uh, who's kind of stubborn. I was like, I'm not going on a mission field. I'm not called to be a missionary. I'm called to the States. And so when Kim met me, I was, I was uh, needless to say, I was just a little bit, uh, not anti-missions, but I just wanted nothing, uh, nothing to do with it. And, uh, and that was me. And, and the WT at the time, there was this college pastor at First Baptist who was pushing missions almost to the other extreme. If you weren't, gonna, if you weren't called to be a missionary, then you weren't a Christian, uh, almost to that extreme. And so all our college friends were like, I'm called to be a missionary. I'm like, no, you're not. Well, how do you know? Because you just spent $300 on a pair of shoes, you know. Anybody who has a heart for $300 pair of shoes doesn't have heart for the nation. So, you know, that kind of mentality. So I just really wanted nothing to do with it. So for me to come here uh, in this church and to be thrown into the missions area of our church was uh, not a choice of mine, but it was a choice of God's. And all that to say, I've cried more in the past seven years here. And, and the reason why is because God has changed my heart. And I discovered something in my seven years here. That, that what, what God changed in my heart was not an attitude towards missions. It was an attitude towards love. And it doesn't matter what country I'm in. When you walk outside the States and you see people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. My heart just breaks for him. My heart breaks. And it just brings me to tears. And so, you know, like this morning, I, I once again, I, I, I think our church is starting to get it, but I don't think we really grasp it fully. You know, as, as we've adopted the Khmer people, God has allowed this Khmer baby to be born in our midst. That is the end of a generational curse that we witnessed in our presence. That's a generation that, that, that can no longer be said of that they are an unreached people group. I mean, the, the Khmer people that are alive over there right now are, are called an unreached people group because more than 95% of them or whatever have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. But, but Brooke's generation of Cambodians will not be known as an unreached people group any longer. And she is just, she, she, she symbolically represents that people group. And the fact that God brought Ricky and Nikki into our church and that that baby was born in this body is monumental. But you can't understand that if you don't have love, genuine love for the Khmer people. It's great that we've adopted this vision and adopted the Khmer people, that, that we say, yes, we want to reach them. And many of the church have said, yeah, we want, we'll get behind the church leadership if that, that's what they're saying they want to do. But until we get to a place where we love them, 
then it's just a vision. But once the love of Christ that's inside of us changes our hearts and we love them as Christ loves them, and it is his desire that none of them should perish, then our heart breaks for them. Breaks for them. And suddenly all this stuff just fades away. So I hold baby Brooke this morning. What I want to do is just ah, forget donut time. Let's just worship. Let's thank God for what he's done in our midst. Let's celebrate. But we don't acknowledge it. We don't recognize it. We don't see it because we're not looking through the eyes of love. So back to what we were talking about earlier. Studying the word is the same way. There's a huge difference in spending 15 minutes every morning reading the Word like Richard was talking about this morning, reading it out of a sense of duty or reading it out of a genuine love for God's Word. Two totally different things. One leads to ritualism. One can lead to, to spiritual stagnation. The other one leads to passion. It leads to interaction with the living God, and it leads to life. Obeying your parents out of a sense of duty will lead you to bitter, grump, grumpy little kids. I don't want to go to my daddy. Dad told me to go do my homework. God, I'll do it later. That's how y'all sound. Oh, trust me, you do. Parents? Yes, that's how it sounds. But when you, when you get to a place where you are honoring your parents, where you're obeying your parents out of a genuine love for them, it's totally different. You don't have to love who they are because guess what? None of your parents are perfect, nor will they ever be. You need to go to the place where you love them as God loves them, with grace with patience, understanding, humility. And when you can look at your parents through the lens of God's grace and his humility and his understanding and his patience, then it's a little easier. Then it doesn't make you grow bitter. It doesn't cause grumbling. It causes a submissive attitude which is necessary for you in order to love others. Because in order to truly love another, you have to make yourself less than them. That's what Philippians 2 says. Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. It says, Christ did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Even though Christ was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Yet he made himself less. Not only less than God himself, he made himself, the creator made himself less than the created. He took on our guilt, our shame, our sin out of love. And we need to learn to love in the same way. As you go through school, students, as you, you end out summer adults and you get back into the workforce or, 
or back into home life and getting your kids in the hustle and bustle of schedules, ask God to give you an attitude of love. Because faith and hope are great, and they will remain. But the greatest above those two is love. Love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not self-seeking. Love. Love one another. Be kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving each other. Even as Christ for even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. That's what the word says in Ephesians 4:32. Love. So as you go into school, don't be like the fool in his folly. Love them enough to endure the agony of being different and representing Christ in love and see what God does. You with me? Cool beans. Uh huh. Just going to give you my perspective on the whole missions thing. Because when we got married, I knew Jeff was a missionary kid, and I made him promise me we would never have to go on the mission field. I mean, I was like, this is like a deal breaker here, okay? Because I had no heart for missions, didn't want any part of missions, couldn't fi- see myself caring about people across the world. And so um, when we came here and and really with the Cambodia vision, I mean, God, I'd read a couple books about stuff in Cambodia, and uh, but realized that I didn't love, I didn't have that love. Like, I didn't have the love to really care about people that I never met before and whether or not they knew Jesus. Really didn't matter to me. Um, and so I, one day, I mean, honestly, one day, just asked the Lord, Jesus, put that love in me. Just put it in me because I don't have it. So I went from not caring at all about these people to one night, and I specifically remember it because it was life-changing for me. We were in here praying for Cambodia or different nations, and I was on the floor weeping, weeping for the Cambodian people. And that was so not my heart. And I remember after that just thinking, oh, my gosh. I mean, I asked him one time, and he put a love in me that is so deep that it can only be from him. And so I just encourage you to do that. Just if it seems foreign to you to love people that you don't know or to care about people across the world, I mean, it's just hard. It's hard to to grasp that. But ask him to give you that love. Ask him to give you that love for each other. And let's see what he does this year, if we'll get serious about it. Amen. 
All right. Well, we are uh, we're going to be done tonight. I got a couple announcements. Wednesday night, normal activities. Uh, Wednesday night, you need to have your youth commission forms in. So if you haven't filled out a youth commission form yet, they're still up in the youth room. You need to get those filled out. But not just filled out, you need to actually turn them in. Okay. Every year we have some that like two months from the time they were supposed to be turned in, we're like, well, how come I'm not on youth commission? Well, did you fill out a form? Yeah, I filled it out. Did you turn it in? Oh, I don't know. Because if you don't turn it in, we don't know that you filled it out. I'd like to think that, that we are gifted, but that gift of prophecy has never been bestowed upon us. So uh, make sure you turn it in and have a good week at school. Amen. We'll see you.